0: We're going to be, you can be seated if you want, we're going to be in Ephesians chapter 3 tonight. Um, I seem to have lost my place, isn't that great? I think we're going to be in Ephesians chapter 3. And we're going to be looking at that, Hmm. I have no idea what I've done here. This talks amongst yourselves. There we are. Woo! Man, about got me there. Technology about got me. I'm getting to that age where it's starting to catch me a little bit. Uh, we're going to be uh, looking at Ephesians chapter 3. And last week we looked at Ephesians chapter 2. And we started in the low swamps of the depravity of mankind. And uh, our righteousness is as what? Filthy rags is what the scripture tells us. And without Jesus, we are nothing and uh and so we we mentioned that and in chapter 2 we saw Paul as we ended last week talking about something that the Lord did in in chapter chapter 2 well the Lord did not just in chapter 2 but Paul alludes to it in chapter 2 that was radical and it was really mind blowing that Jesus broke down the wall of partition the wall that separated the Jews and the Gentiles one of the things Jesus came to do when he died on the cross was to bring those groups together, and we're going to talk about that tonight. The Gentiles, and if you know anything about history, uh, Jewish history, especially in the early church, talking about uh, when we talk about the wall of partition, we're talking about the wall that separated the place where the Jews could go in the temple and the Gentiles. As a Gentile, you could go into the outer courts of the temple, but you couldn't go into places uh, that were that were further in, and they had a wall of partition to keep people. Out um, a, w- a wall that segregated one group for another, and and I, I think I alluded to this last week that the the Jews, if they even rubbed elbows in in the marketplace with the Gentiles, they would have to go and be cleansed because they had such a such a grief with the Gentiles, and um, the Gentiles could only be in the outer courts, and the Jews could go further into the temple, and there was a separation of the two, and if you cross that line as a Gentile. Uh, there were signs that said, "You did so at the risk of losing your life." That's pretty intense. S- stay out. It's like a no trespassing sign. You'd be put to death. And Paul said, he said this in chapter two. No more was that. Jesus broke down the wall of partition. And uh, I, I made mention to this that great speech of 1984, where Ro- Ronald Reagan is giving that speech about the Berlin Wall, and he and he says, "Mr. Gorbachev, tear down." This wall. How many remember that? I saw it on YouTube. I no, I was three. I was three. Um, um but it really was a was an amazing moment. The wall that separated East and West Ger- Germany and East and West Berlin. Uh, that time when that wall wall came down, you remember celebration took place, and um, what had been separated had come together. How many knows that when Jesus came, what had been separated was able to come together because of the grace of Jesus Christ. And I'm I'm just pumped about that. And Jesus, when he came, he tore down the wall between the Jew and the Gentile when he fulfilled the law by dying on the cross for you and I. Thus, for the first time, giving us, you, everyone in here, access to the Lord. Thank you, Jesus. All right? Uh, And, and. Oh, that we'd be a church without walls. That's that's really my hope. I mean, well, we need walls to keep the weather out, right? If we didn't have walls, we wouldn't our air conditioning would be in vain, right? Amen. Some of you are thankful for some of those walls, but I'm talking in, in in a realm of of walls. I'm talking about socially or politically, not putting up barriers for this group or these people. But see, God God loves people. God loves all of them you know what our job is to love them all too and and so as long as god loves all people i have to love all people and as a church we have to love all people cuz if we're not loving all people we're not operating in the same love amen and so uh not not one over the other uh, not our church uh, but our church is is to respond like jesus did with open arms of love and it's it's radical today there's a lot of division today, right? There's a lot of walls. I heard a pastor speak this, this he, he was pretty candid in his statement, and he said, he said these things. He said, you know, in 2019, 2020, there was racial injustice, and he said, and then, then came the pandemic, and then it was, you know, you should wear a mask, you shouldn't wear a mask, and now it's vaccinated, you shouldn't be vaccinated, and this is what he said. He said to, to his church, you know, and I happen to agree with him, stop. Stop. Stop arguing and stop stop, stop with the division and start loving on everybody. And I don't know about you. I, I love that. And, and I think that we need to be reminded of that. And Paul says this, Christ came to blow away the walls that separated the Jews and the Gentiles. And I'm grateful for that. I want you to think about this and maybe and, and do this in your mind. Don't do this out loud because I don't want to get you in trouble. But think of a group that infuriates you the most. Now imagine this, imagine if God said, I'm bringing them in because I love them. And that's exactly what God did with the Jews. The Jews didn't really like the Gentiles at all, didn't want really anything to do with them, but God said, ah, I'm bringing them in because I love them. And um, and this is the mystery that, I don't remember if you remember, we talked about it in Ephesians chapter 1. Uh, it's the mystery that we talked about there. In Christ, all things might be brought together. Everything is, is is brought together for him, around him, and in him. How many know that Jesus is the center of it all? He is. And uh, uh, everything was brought together for him, around him, and in him. And And if that's the case, that needs to be the vision of my daily life. When I get up and I go about my routine, it's all about Christ it's all about loving on everybody just like Christ would love everybody. And if we could understand that all things are brought together by Jesus Christ, it will change our whole perspective. How you live, how you act, how you talk, how you walk, it's radical. And it's radical for the kingdom of God. So we're going to look at this, Ephesians chapter 3, verse 1. And if you need a subheading at the top, top of this, is the mystery of the gospel revealed. The mystery of the gospel uh, revealed. And so it says this, for this reason. Now remember, we had just finished chapter two talking about the wall of partition coming down. And he says this, for this reason, Paul says this, I, Paul, a prisoner of Christ Jesus, on behalf of you Gentiles. And uh, Paul is in prison here. I'm going to just break here and give you a little bit of commentary. Uh, Paul's in prison here, and he's writing this epistle in a Roman jail got nothing else to do, so I might as well write a letter to the Ephesians, and and write a letter uh, uh, to the uh, Philippians, and write a letter to Philemon, and so, and many of the, this is w- known as one of the, one of the jail epistles here, and so, and he took a stand, this is something that Paul did, he took a stand for the Gentiles here, this is amazing, and, and, and he says, indeed I'm a prisoner. But I'm a prisoner with a cause, and what is that cause? That that cause is the incredible revelation that Jesus brought down the wall separating the Jews and the Gentiles. That's that's why he's in jail. Because I don't know if you if you remember this, Paul, when he went to Jerusalem and he went into Jerusalem, Paul was a Jew. He was saved by grace, but he was born a Jew. And so he could go into the temple, and he could go into places, but he went into the temple with a group of Jews, and some Jews mistakenly thought that those Jews were Gentiles, and they tried to run him out of town on a rail because they thought that he had done the unthinkable there. And and so in this, so what happens is there's civil unrest, and, and the Romans, to deal with this... They think Paul's the issue, so they throw him in jail. And then the, the, the uh, Jews are going crazy. They're, they're, wanting, they're wanting Paul, you know, just taken care of. And so the Romans, what do they do? They take him in uh, protective custody, and they move him to somewhere else. And so he spends this long stint of time in prison. And the reason he's in prison is because he's preaching a gospel that says the Jews and the Gentiles are one through Jesus Christ. And they were brought together because of Jesus. So he was a prisoner for a cause, but also he was a prisoner of Christ. And, and Paul would, would all, you could almost hear Paul saying this, I'm not a prisoner of Nero. I'm not a prisoner of the Roman Empire. Uh, I am a prisoner of Jesus Christ and he has brought me to this place. And what I like about Paul is he doesn't waste any time. Even though he's in jail, he is writing people, he is encouraging people, he is correcting people, he is loving on people. He is making good use of his time. And so Paul uh uh you know this, but while he's in prison, he he wrote he wrote this epistle and he spread the gospel to to guards and that were attached to him while he was in jail and Many of them were saved. And, matter of fact, revival broke out in Caesar's palace because some of the guards that were watching Paul were getting saved. They were attached to him. He said, Oh, while well, I got you here, let me tell you about Jesus Christ. And I tell you what, that challenges me. But Paul understood something that, um, and oftentimes we do this. When we complain, anybody ever complained in here? I've complained a couple of times in my life. You can ask my wife. Probably twice in our marriage, I think we I might have complained. That is funny. Uh, but uh, Paul uh, understood something, that when we complain about our situation or our place in life, anybody, when when you start complaining about your situation and your place in life, what we're really doing is we're really complaining about God the Father. Well, what do you mean by that, TJ? For For it is he who sets our course and determines our days. So we're showing disapproval, but Paul, he never lost his perspective of what God was doing in his life, and 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 that is why he could say, I'm not a prisoner, I, I'm a prisoner of Jesus Christ, not of Nero, for it is he who captivated my heart and brought me to this place. He may have been in shackles, but he was truly a free man, and that's awesome. So look at this, uh, uh, verse 2 says this, assuming... That you have heard of 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 the stewardship of God's grace uh, that was given to me for you. Verse 3, how the mystery was made known to me by revelation, as I have written briefly. Paul was a brief speaker like me. I'm just kidding. Okay. All right. You can laugh. It's all right. All right, verse 4 says this, when you read this, you can perceive my insight into the mystery of Christ. We talked about what that was. Verse 5, which was not made known to the sons of men in other generations as it is now been revealed to his holy apostles and prophets by the Spirit. Verse 6, the mystery is, everyone say the mystery is, is that the Gentiles are fellow heirs. You ought to get excited about that. Uh, Members of the same body and partakers of the promise in Christ Jesus through the gospel. So many of you know the word mystery here refers to something that was previously unknown but is now revealed because of the timing is right. Um, Some things we don't always need to know at certain times, right? And, 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 you know, have you ever been somewhere where they said, this is need to know? basis information and you don't need to know well that's that's what's happened this is information that didn't need to be known but now it's a mystery revealed is what paul's saying so now the timing is right and, and the mystery of how the jews and the gentiles are heirs together is based on the on on this uh and this says stewards of god's grace but if you have a king james version it probably says dispensation of grace anybody got a king james version does it say dispensation a dispensation of grace and uh, and if you look at those and those words are are, are kind of interchangeable uh, but but what Paul's saying is this: the Jews and the Gentiles are equal they are equal standing in the church Jesus looks at them the same. how many are so happy that we're grafted in look at this Genesis 123 in the Old Testament says this and 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 this is a promise given to to Abraham uh, here, but it, it says this about God's grace, is that, that grace would come to the Gentiles. It doesn't say, it doesn't just roundabout say that. Uh, matter of fact, I don't, how hard would that be for you to pull that verse up for me, Tristan? I'm throwing her under the bus. She didn't know that was coming, so just talk amongst yourself while we look up Genesis 12, 12, 3. She does a good job. Come on, give Tristan a hand. Oh, my gosh. She's fast. And this is a promise given to Abraham. I will bless those who bless you, and and him who dishonors you I will curse. And in you, all the families of the earth shall be blessed. That is a promise that grace would be given to the Gentiles. And I love that. So so we, and, and I don't want to dwell on this too long, but we live in this thing, this dispensation. If you get into theology, uh, there's there's dispensations. Anybody ever heard of the dispensations? Okay. Um, some say there's seven. Some say there's eight. Uh, dispensations are are these things, that, and we'll get into those dispensations. But we live in the dispensation of grace. The time that we live now. And what is a dispensation? It is a way of ordering things. It is a... It is not, not like KFC, you're going up to order something. But it is a, it is a way to, like, a, an order of things. There's A, B, C, D, and these dispensations that, that God has walked us through. So, uh, and, and let me give you an example. What, there are those who say, we don't need God. You ever heard someone say that? We don't need God. You know what? We don't need God. We need the right person in the White House. Anybody ever heard anybody say that? Don't say Amen. We don't need revival. We need the right political revolution. You ever heard that? We've heard that. And others say this. If we could get rid of all the toxic waste and pollutants, if we could make our environment better, we we could all live in peace. You ever heard that? I lived in California. I heard that. Others say if my parents weren't so weird, I I would be happy. Anybody ever heard that from your kids? (laughs) Others say this: the problem is faith. Uh, we're asked to believe something that we cannot see, we cannot hear, or we cannot touch. If we could see, hear, and touch, then we could believe. Uh, and so, what was the point of all that? So, so uh, of saying all that. So, what does God do? We take all that information and we look, and we look at the history of, uh, of 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 what we know, and He says, "Okay, humans, human race, this is what I what I've got for you. Have it your way." Is that Burger King? Have it your way. Have it your way, and and I'm going to march you through different ideals and different dispensations that you think will bring you happiness. And so so that gives us these seven dispensations, and I'm going to break them down a little bit. I'm not going to go into great detail into these, but I'm just going to give you a pretty surface level on these. The first one is the dispensation of innocence, which begins in the creation of man and lasted until the fall of man. Okay, the dispensation of innocence and 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 the dispensation of innocence is basically this: I am the way I am because my parents are that way. Anybody ever said that? You ever heard that? Well, they're just gonna be like their mom and dad. Well, they're acting that way because their mom and dad. They're drunk because their mom and dad were alcoholics. Right? And and but here's the thing: the, the dispensation of innocence, where you have Adam and Eve in the Garden of Eden. With no parents, guess what? It nullifies the argument that the reason that we're so messed up is because of our parents. Got no excuse. It's our own choices. So look at that. That's, that's a real basic, and, and maybe I'll come back and teach on these a little bit more, but that's the first one, dispensation of innocence. Here's the second one, dis, the dispensation of, of conscience, and that, alas, that lasted approximately 1,650 years from, from uh, the fall of man. Until Noah's flood. And and many of you know that what, what they believed there was that, you know, a man's conscience, as long as it felt good and you did what you want to do, everyone could be in harmony. I almost feel like that we're almost kind of living that kind of world right now, right? If it feels good to you, go ahead and do it. And that's where the world was. And, and it nullified that following your own conscience and 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 let everyone live in harmony. But this is what happened. The world became so perverted that the planet... That there was only one man considered righteous. That's what happens when you follow your own desires and your own heart. So look at this. The next one is this: the dispensation of of, of government. And after Noah's flood, from from Noah's flood to the Tower of Babel, approximately 425 years, there was government and order based on this. Uh, the, the, the governmental order was, was this, capital punishment. But man, uh, man started in the first government building project, right? And they tried to build this, the Tower of Babel. And they tried to build it out of brick and slime. Isn't that fitting for a government building? Bricks and slime, right? And, 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 and you know the story. It failed. And, 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 and so look at this. The fourth dispensation is the dispensation of promise. And this is from Abraham to the Exodus, uh, talking about the children of Israel. And this was approximately 430 years. And God promised Abraham that his descendants would be, uh, would, would be in a promised land. But what happened to his descendants? They ended up being in bondage in Egypt say, Lord, let us have it our way. And guess what? We always get it our way. And, and they were in Egypt in bondage, baking bricks in the blistering desert heat, which leads us to the next dispensation, which is the dispensation of the law from the Israelites. Exodus out of Egypt all the way to Calvary was this dispensation of the law. And based on uh, Moses attaining the ten, ten Commandments and the Jews taking those Ten Commandments and turning them into 600 plus rules and laws and regulations to follow. Sounds like a lot of our government, right? We'll take these ten rules and we'll make them multiply, right? And, and this is what the dispensational law says. It's based on rules. It's based on regulation. And man, man would then be okay, but this is what happened. The law was wonderfully sensible, and it was beautiful, and it was practical. The problem is we can't keep it. If you have not committed one of the ten commandments, if you haven't failed in one of the ten commandments, can you please raise your hand? If you raise your hand, you're a liar, so there you go. We, we can't keep that. We, there's no way that we can do this, which leads to the sixth dispensation, which is the dispensation of grace. And this is from Calvary to the present through the tribulation. And, and this dispensation is where we live and dwell. And, this, and, and I love, I love you, you've heard me talk about it. You sound like a You sound like a broken record, TJ. You talk about grace all the time. Because I love God's grace on my life. And the more I know him, and the closer I get to him, the more I realize I need him. And this dispensation brings us to this place where we realize neither innocence, neither conscience, neither government, neither promise, uh, vision, nor rules and regulations and laws can save us. But only God's grace. God's saying, hey, he says this in this dispensation. I love you. I died for your sins. I rose again. And if you confess... Uh, that you, your need for me with your mouth and believe in your heart, you will be saved. And I am grateful for this dispensation that we live in right now. The seventh dispensation, and I'm not going to go too far into this, is the dispensation of righteousness. Some call it the millennial kingdom, and this starts after the tribulation, and 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 all who knew him will be with the Lord there. And I'm not going to go too far into that. Maybe one day I'll come back and teach on all those, but that that is... The seven dispensations, okay? Seven dispensations. Look at this. Verse 7 says this, moving on. Of this gospel, I was made a minister according to the gift of God's grace, which was given to me by the working of his power. And Paul would say this. I was a minister not because of my piety or my spirituality or my ability. And I happen to agree with Paul. I'm not a minister because of my piety, my, my, my ability to follow religious laws and things like that. And it has zero to do with my ability and my spirituality. It's only by God's grace that I'm here. I'm right there with Paul. It's only by God's grace that I'm able to be a minister for him. It's only by God's grace. And here's the thing. Paul was educated. He was smart. He had influence. But those were not the reasons that he was a minister. You know why he was a reason? Single word. Grace, the grace of God. And that means Paul's ministry was singular. It was grace. Verse 8 to this says, to me, though I am the very least of all the saints, this grace was given. Think about this. Paul, who wrote a, a large portion of the New Testament, started many churches. Probably some would argue the greatest apostle and maybe one of the... The outside of Jesus, maybe one of the, the most clearly spoken person in the in the New Testament, some some would say that. But here he is, and what are his words? He says, I am the very least of all the saints. I am a nobody. And you say, hey, what well, was Paul, you know, did, was that false humility? I don't think it was false humility with Paul. I, I think Paul was aware of the fact that he was was ministering not because he deserved to, solely by grace. See, Paul, before he was ministering to the people that he was trying to get saved, he used to persecute those people. He would win in he would go in, they would crowd them up, they would throw them in jail and 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 so he was part of the persecution of the early church. And this is what I, what, I, what I seem to understand about Paul when I look at his life. The closer, the closer that I get to God, the more that I realize that I need him, the more that I understand that I need grace. And the closer I get to see, Scripture tells us that God is a consuming fire. The closer I get to him, the more that I realize that I have a need for, for the Lord. Because my, my flaws begin to show. My weaknesses and the closer that Paul walked with the Lord, the more amazed he was that God would even use him. Look at this. 1 Corinthians 15.9 says he called himself the least of all the disciples. Number one, that's the first thing. I, I call myself the least of all the disciples. Here's the second thing. Ephesians 3.8, he says this. He was the least of all the saints. But Then look at this. Towards the end of his life, 1 Timothy 1.15 says he called himself the chief of all sinners. closer you get to the Lord, the more you realize that you need him. And this is not a false humility, but, but as he grew closer to the Lord, he realized that he needed him more and more. How many would say, be like John and say, hey, I must decrease so you can increase. And I believe that was Paul. He understood something. He said, the closer I get to you, Lord, the more I've got to decrease and the more you've got to show through in my life. When we compare ourselves to the one true God, we can't help but be amazed by his grace over us. second portion of that scripture says to preach to the Gentiles the unsearchable riches of Christ. To me, though I am the very least of all the saints, this grace was given to preach to the Gentiles the unsearchable riches of Christ. Paul didn't talk about philosophy he didn't talk about psychology. He didn't talk about theology. The message of Paul's ministry was exclusively Jesus Christ. I can't help but be encouraged by that. You know, I my dad will call me occasionally on Saturday, and and he'll say, "What are you What are you preaching tomorrow?" And, you know, and we'll have a conversation and. And I said, just just preach Jesus Christ, and he is one hundred percent right. That, that <laughs> Jesus Jesus does does so much more, um, but it says this. Paul he didn't talk about he didn't talk about philosophy, but he just exclusively talked about Jesus Christ. And that word "unsearchable" there doesn't mean it cannot be found, but it it really what the literal meaning of it is. This means that the more you search for it, the more that you'll find. How many wish that when you went searching in your bank account, the more you would find in your bank account? Right? So you're understanding what I'm saying there. Learning, look, look, learning. How many have been saved? Five years. One year. How about one year? Anybody if you've been saved one year, hold your hand up. If you've been saved, I'm not trying to call everyone out. Five years. Ten years. Twenty years. Thirty years showing your age now, 40 years, 50 years, but here's here's what I've known, I've been saved a long time, Um, I can't even do the math in my mind right now to tell you how old I am, but anyways, uh, I've been saved a long time, but one of the things that I can tell you is learning of Jesus, searching for Jesus has never gotten old to me. The more that I seek him, the more I find him. And the more that I dig into his word, the more I learn about him. The things that I thought I knew when I was 18, when I come back and I read scripture again, God begins to reveal things to me in a different light. Not that it changes, but he begins to reveal things to me. The word of God is living. And when we begin to understand who God is, we begin to grow. And learning of Jesus never gets boring. Say, oh. You heard you preach, TJ? Can I tell you something about learning of Jesus? There's always something to sink your teeth in. There's always something there, and it's, it's it's like a well that never runs dry. As long as you keep looking, you will find more and more. In Jeremiah chapter 29, in the NLT, it says, If you look for me wholeheartedly, you will find me. That's the character of God when we begin to look for him, when we begin to search for him, when we begin to know him. And, and Paul's saying this, I, I was here to, s- to preach to the Gentiles this un- the unsearchable riches of Christ. That means that they're there. There's, there's just h- mounds and mounds and just keep digging and digging and digging and digging. And when you think you've reached the highest heights of knowing Jesus, you'll find there's more. I just got to keep looking. I just got to keep looking. Verse 9 says this. And to bring the uh, to light for everyone that is the plan of the mystery hidden for ages in God who created all things. Um, the method here of Paul's ministry was not to just let men hear about the mystery of the indwelling Christ. But to make them see it through the working of God in his own life. I said a whole lot there. I'm going to repeat that. The method of Paul's ministry was not to just let men hear about the mystery of the indwelling Christ, but to make them see it through the working of God in his own life. Our job is not to just speak it, it's to live it. To to be an example, to show people, to show people that we we truly believe in this Christ and that we would be willing to, to lay down our life if we had to. Verse 10 says this, so that through the church, the manifold wisdom of God might now be made known to the rulers and the authorities in heavenly places. That's talking about um, in, in angels and and demons. There's, there's, there's different ranks here. And I, we'll, we'll get to those a little bit later, not tonight, but uh, a couple weeks down the road. And this was according to the uh, eternal purpose that he was realized in Christ Jesus our Lord. And so Paul here... A, is a minister of the gospel of grace. Remember I talked about when I, I don't remember if it was, I believe it was Philippians, I was talking about Paul, and I was talking about uh, the, the the boys in Antioch, Paul and Barnabas, and then I was talking about Peter and them, there's the, the grace base up north, and then those who were a little bit adhering stricter to the law. But Paul, his, his gospel that he preached was grace, and thank goodness that he stood uh, in, in the gap and and preach the grace, and and only that all men might see the mystery of Christ, but that all the angels might see as well. So I want to show you something here, according to First Peter, uh, chapter one, verse twelve. The angels, the angels, are studying us as we live, how we live, and what we're doing. They they're watching us because uh, God created us, but he he created them, and they don't understand this disgrace they are intrigued that God would reside in a people like you and me another reference you can look at is 1 Corinthians 11:10 and, and and manifold wisdom here is being displayed by the church and that means God's ways are not not only a mystery but 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 are varied and angels are learning of God's wisdom as they watch Ungra- grace unfold in your life and in my life every day. They're trying to understand why, why, why would God give these people grace? He's watching. They're, they're not understanding this. Look at this, verse 12. In whom we have boldness and access with confidence through the faith in him. The angels in heaven, and they've got to be saying this. Lord, why are you giving grace to this motley crew? Have you seen what Dan does? Sorry, I didn't mean to call you out, Dan. Have you seen what Jody does? Seen what Cecilia does? I've got to throw someone else underneath the bus. But here, this motley crew, Lord, you've given them access just to come straight right into the throne room of heaven? They can just cast their cares on you, and you'll just help them anytime they cry out to you. That's astonishing to them, and the answer is this: it's a resounding yes, because what Christ did on Calvary, and it's only because of Christ on Calvary that that we can walk in that grace. And it, it's like um, when I'd have a friend over when I was younger, and I'm going to age myself here. I would go ask my friend if I wanted something. I'd be like, "Hey." Can you go ask my mom and dad if they can order a pizza for us? Because they're going to be more likely to not tell you no than they tell me no. Or I would be like, "Can you?" I'm gonna I'm gonna age myself here. If you go ask my mom and dad if they'll go to the video store and rent a movie. I, I just I'm getting older. Tick 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 tick. How many has ever rented a movie from the video? All right, all right. Uh, or probably at that point in my life, it was like, go rent a video game from the store. And knowing that if I went, my parents would be like, no. But if my friend went, hey, do you think that uh, maybe we could get a pizza and maybe rent a movie? My parents would probably be like, yeah, I like this kid. All right. Yeah, sounds good. But if I asked, they'd probably be like, no. such was the mindset of the children of Israel. They, remember, they, they didn't want to mess with God. They didn't want to talk to God. They, they sent Moses to do the dirty work. They, they wanted to get the word f- from Moses. And then uh, when, when he came down uh, to tell us that they were, they were afraid of God, but in this dispensation of grace, this, this glorious grace of God, the age of grace, Hebrews 4, 4 16 says, God says this, come boldly unto me. You don't understand. You may not understand the ramifications of that. The angels are looking at that going, you guys don't know how blessed you guys are that you can just go right into the throne room of heaven. You know the story of Esther. When she goes in and she's called for such a time as this and she goes in to to confront the king and that was almost a death sentence for her you know the story, she walks in there to the king, and, and they want her to, to, to die, but the king's like, you, you don't talk to her like that, I, I get to decide who lives and dies. And God showed mercy to Israel because of that stand, and it's the same thing for us today. It's what Jesus, it's a picture of Jesus Christ. He came in, and when we should have died to our sins, when we were dead in our sins, Jesus came in, and he opened the door, and he said, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. He gave us grace, and he gave us mercy. And I don't know about you, what a privilege we have as believers to go into the throne of heaven and ask God boldly. It reminds me of my kids, not like me when I was growing up. I didn't go in and ask my parents boldly, can we have a pizza? I used my friends. But it reminds me of my kids when they want something, and they know this deep down in my heart. If they need something from me, all they got to do is ask. All they all they have to do is ask and say, "Dad," and maybe they'll butter me up a little bit. But that's okay. Sometimes it's all right to be buttered up. Sometimes it just feels good to be loved on. Right? Like I, I don't I don't mind buying you that right now. And you just keep talking sweet to me for a little bit, you know. But we can come in just like my kids have access to me at any given moment. There isn't a place that I have to be. Where I wouldn't allow my kids to come in and if they needed me in that moment that I wouldn't break what I was doing to, to, to see their need. Let me tell you something. We have the same access to the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords because of Christ Jesus. I don't know about you, but this is doing something in my heart tonight. Look at this. Verse 13 says this. So I ask you not to lose heart over what I am suffering for you, which is your glory. So don't lose heart over my troubles all these troubles they're for you. And you say, well, how could that be? How could how could his troubles be for them? And in his troubles, his confinement, Paul was was a living demonstration of what it means to have Christ living in him, the hope of glory. And I said this about A.W. A. Tozer Sunday that he was a classical I like the term crusty preacher. I don't know why. It's just cool to me. He was, he was, he was, a, he was a classical crusty preacher, and he says, said this that before God can use a man greatly, he must allow him to hurt deeply. A lot of people, a lot of people want to want to do ministry. A lot of people want to want to do things, but sometimes they don't count the cost. Well, I, I don't understand what you're saying. I grew up in a, in a in a pastor's home. I saw the good, bad, and ugly of ministry at times. When you when you deal with people, sometimes you deal with 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 rough situations, and I saw situations where my my parents were hurt and betrayed and 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 people that they thought they could trust and that would love on them and 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 be be you know friends to them, turn their back on them and and i'm and I'm sure Tanya, you guys can relate to the same thing you know being from a pastor's home and understanding that, but counting the cost but and sometimes God allows things in our lives, and we're deeply hurt, and we may not understand why, and we we may not understand the the whole thing so why? Here's the old adage. The the old adage um, is this. People don't care how much you know until they know how much you care. Right? And what makes us care in our service to people is the interactions with people. And that's that's not necessarily what Paul gives us the answer in 1 Corinthians chapter, uh, I think it's 2 Corinthians. Actually, I think I might have got that one wrong. 2 Corinthians Uh, chapter 1, verse 3 through 5, he said this, Blessed be the God and and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of mercies and God of all comfort. Verse 4 says this, Who comforts us in all of our affliction. Did you catch that? He comforts us in all of our affliction so that we may be able to comfort those who are in any affliction with the comfort with which we ourselves are comforted by God. For as we share abundantly in Christ's suffering, so through Christ we share abundantly in comfort too. You know what that scripture tells me? is what you're going through, the thing that you're struggling with. It's not just so you can go through it, but it's so you can be a, a comfort to someone else who's struggling and going through a trial in a situation. The degree of, of the crushing tribulation or the difficulty in which you find yourself will be the degree of the consolation that you will receive, and the consolation comes to us that we might turn, in turn, comfort others with the comfort that we have found in Him. When I go through something, and God brings me out, it's my job to take that hope. That I have because God brought me through and to share with someone who may be going through a similar situation or give someone some encouragement when they're struggling. Many, many unbelievers have, have been uh, witnessed to hundreds of times by sincere Christians, right? A lot of people have walked around and did a lot of street evan- evangelism, yet they they remain unmoved because they are unknowingly waiting to see the mystery of, of Christ in the life of a believer. I said, you know, it's not enough for us to talk about it. It's, we have to live it out. And that's what happens. And so, so how will this happen here in Ephesians 3? Paul links the answer to his own difficulties. I, I want to I give you just a, a quick quick uh, grasp in the Old Testament. How many know the story of Gideon, the mi- mighty man of valor, right? One of the judges. Um, by the process of elimination, uh, God, God got his army down to 300 men you know the story and, and 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 many went home and many drank like dogs and many cupped out of their hands and that left 300 men to fight this battle and Gideon already didn't want to be part of that battle but God took this large army and shrunk it down to 300 men and how many would go to fight a large army with 300 men i don't think any of us would raise our hands in here and and god gave them a plan and they they surrounded the uh, the midianites and when they blew the trumpet 3 300 men positioned on the hills, around, around the Midianite camp, broke their jars to reveal a light. You can look this up in Judges chapter 7. And, and the Midianites, when they looked up, they believed each light represented a large division of soldiers. They began to panic, and they began to start swinging their swords on their own. And thus, Gideon's men experienced the firsthand what happens when light comes pouring forth from a broken vessel. I know that's super practical, but in 2 second, uh, second Corinthians 4, 7, Paul says we have the light of the world, Jesus Christ, in earthen vessels. This physical thing, Jesus Christ, the light of us. Flowing. And when we're broken, when we're broken in spirit, and the light of Jesus begins to flow out of us. We may be struggling in our hearts, but the light of Jesus, people, the world looks at us and they don't just hear our words, but they see us living it out and saying they still have Hope, and they begin to change, and I thought about that as, uh, you know, this last week, I, I, I've, I've seen Bill Colson uh, uh, multiple times, and, and I, I had to tell him the other day when I saw him, I said, Bill, you encourage me more than I think that I encourage you. And 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 honestly, I, I believe that because he knows, and 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 he's he's ill, and it's not looking good for him, and his days are probably numbered. But his hope is in Jesus Christ and Him alone. And there's a peace within his heart. And let me tell you something: if I was in his shoes, I would only hope that I was walking in the same same power that he's walking in, same amount of peace that he's walking in. And the world wants to see the mystery of Christ in us, not just hear about it. So how do they see it? The only way they see it is through a broken vessel. They see it when the diagnosis is terminal. And yet you hold on to God's hand in faith. And they see, it, they see it when a wife, your husband, walks out on you and you continue to worship and serve the Lord. You continue to trust the Lord. And they see it when your business goes belly up and you yet trust in God. And they see it when your teenager breaks your heart and their decisions and how you respond with grace and mercy of God. The same grace that God gave you and you respond in the same mercy and grace. And when you're broken, they get to see Jesus Christ and the hope of glory. Seeing this mystery, they are drawn to the master. Amen. How many want people to be drawn to the master? What a privilege we have to be his vessels here's the second portion i'm gonna I'm gonna try to cruise through this I think we got seven more verses here and if you need a, he- a heading is this is prayer for spiritual strength how many need spiritual strength all right me too verse fourteen for this reason I bow my knees before the Father from whom every family in heaven and on earth is named that according to the riches of his glory, he may grant you to be strengthened with power through his spirit in your inner being. So Paul would say this while I'm in prison, I'm 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 praying for you. I'm praying for you while while I'm sitting here, I'm, I'm praying for you, and I believe that these are not just uh, words that that he's saying I'm, these are inspired words from, by the holy spirit he's 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 saying hey i am bowing on my i'm praying for you i am i am i am loving on you and i am praying that god would strengthen you and your inner man sunday after church Tanya she, she came up to me and she reminded me of something she said i i pray for your family every day and and but the reason she she i mean i don't know why she felt compelled to tell me that but i'm glad that she did because this is what this is what happens when i thought about that at that moment i began to think somebody cares about me and loves me enough to constantly pray for me to to call my name out To pray that the enemy would stay, to pray that God would give me direction, to pray that God would sustain me, to pray that God would keep me above reproach, to pray, pray for me. And I begin to think about that. That is the most selfless thing that we can do for anybody. Let's call someone's name in prayer. Mom and dad, do you care about your kids? Pray for them. Send them to college. Do all those things. You know, give them the best education. Put them in sports. But the best thing you can do spiritually for your kids is pray for them. Do you care about your church? Pray for us. All of us. And pray that the Holy Spirit will work in the inner man. Uh, do, you, do, you, do, you, do you care about your community? Pray that the holy spirit would lead our leaders and 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 direct them and and give them wisdom in making decisions. So so many have knowledge in their heads. I'm about to say something here. So many have knowledge in their heads, but it hasn't dropped 18 inches into their heart. Got a lot of this, but not a lot of prayer. And 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 so so how does this happen? How does it go from here to here? Prayer. And Paul says, "I bow on my knee. I assume the posture of intensity and pray. And my prayer is that the knowledge of uh, is the knowledge of theology will make its way from my head down to my heart. And as I pray for you, I'm praying. I'm leaving you. Up. It was crazy. I went to Indianapolis, and um, I had to go up to Indianapolis to return the bus that we." We had, and on the way up there, I I I just had my my phone playing random, uh, uh like gospel songs, and they were just random. And the song came on that I never heard in my life, never heard in my life, and and it was just a simple song. And it was just the song. the The premise of the song was this: somebody prayed for me. They took the time, they thought about me. Somebody, and I'm sitting here going down the road, and I'm just just kind of like chew it on these words, and I begin to think about it, and I begin to think about my life, and I begin to think about the people that have prayed for me that I don't even realize have prayed for me. So here I am driving to Indianapolis following church, this bus, and just, (laughs) thank you, God, for people that pray for me. Paul says, I bow my knee, I assume the posture of intensity, and I pray. I love that. Verse 17 says, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. And the Greek word translated dwell is literally, it means this, to settle down and home. So that Christ may settle down and be at home in your heart. Is Christ at home in your heart? I hope he is. Uh, Don't you love it when you can walk in somewhere and just feel like you're at home? You know what I do when I go to my mom and dad's? I walk in the house like I own the house. I haven't lived with my parents for many years, like 19 years or so, maybe maybe even longer, 20 years I haven't lived there. You know what? When I go to my parents, I walk in like I still live there. I go to the refrigerator, I grab whatever I want out of that refrigerator. I open the closets and I look in there and I look at my inheritance. <laughs> And I go in the garage, and I look, and I go wherever I want in my parents' home. You know why? Because I am welcome there. Is Jesus welcome in your home and in your heart to the place where he feels like, I'm going to go ahead and just look in the fridge in here and see what's going on. I'm going to open up this closet in TJ's heart. Woo, why are you hiding this? And I love that. I love being able to go at, at, like, just where you feel at home sometimes. And Paul's saying this, is Christ at home in your heart? And my hope is that Christ would be comfortable in you. He'd just be like, I'm just going to lay out on the couch here in Cecilia's heart today. Cecilia, you got any blankets in here? No. Nah. Where is he comfortable? Where he, at where he is comfortable and where he's at home. You'll be happy and blessed. Look at this next portion of that scripture says that you being rooted and grounded in love, verse 18, may have strength to comprehend with all the saints uh, what is the breadth and the length and the height and depth. Verse 19, and to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge that you may be filled uh, with the fullness of God. So how can you know something that passes knowledge? Think about that our human knowledge think about something that passes what you already what we could comprehend as human beings how do you know that how can you be filled with the fullness of god when god can't even be contained in our universe makes one go hmm. and and i suggest the answer lies in this phrase being rooted and grounded in love so, what does it mean to be rooted what is what is grounded what is what is love and how many i, I love this i love I love the, the when we compare the tree of Calvary or the cross of Calvary. can I tell you something it was rooted, and the cross was grounded and it was rooted and paul and peter they they call the cross a tree uh, uh, and and trees are rooted right? A good tree is rooted when a storm comes if its root system is there it doesn't blow down right and and so there therefore The only way I can surpass knowledge and truth is to know love is to focus my eyes upon the cross of Calvary and seeing its breadth, its length, its depth, and its height as the love of God. Number one right here. I see the breadth of his love as Jesus stretched out his hands on the cross. To to what lengths did he go? Look at this. Because he was slain before the foundations of the world. Revelation 13:8 says, His sufferings are elongated beyond anything we can comprehend. You're, you're already getting past your knowledge there. Look at this. How deep did Jesus go? Listen, as he cried out on the cross, My God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? He cries out in the depths of despair, from the depths of hell. Praying for my sin and your sin. Look at this. What is the height of his love? Look, look up and see him uh, on the cross praying, Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. The cross is broad enough for inclusive to every group, ethnically, politi- politically, culturally, religiously. As long as you have a relationship with Jesus Christ, you are included. Jews Gentiles, man, woman, I don't care, black, white, and Democrat, Republican, as long as you know Jesus Christ, you are included and the and and the cross says, "Believe on me and, and 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 let me live in you and through you, and the only way I can truly know that which passes my own knowledge or our own human knowledge is to consider the height, the depth, the length, and the breadth of the cross that which is grounded and rooted in the hill called Calvary. You know why we take communion, why Jesus told us to? So we would remember the cross. So we would understand the the breadth, the height, the length, the depth of the cross. Look at this, verse 20 and 21. Now to him, oh, we know this one. You guys could probably quote this one. Now to him who is able to do far more uh, abundantly then all that we ask for think according to the power that work within us verse 21 to him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations forever and ever amen and after paul points out points us to the depth the height the breadth and the length of the cross he points to what Jesus can do within each and every one of us God's love. I'm going to make a statement here. God's love nor his power is limited by human imagination. The limits to God are not him. It's me. And I'm convinced that God does more for us than we ever think or or even think to even ask for because he's not limited to just a human mind he's he's omniscient he's all knowing and 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 so once we understand that and this is what i'd say to you stop putting god in your box he's bigger than your box it says this to him be the glory in the church in christ jesus throughout all generations forever and ever amen in other words uh, what begins here on earth will continue on to a greater degree in heaven. It's just going to keep going and going and going and going. Look at this church. It's our job to glory in the Lord. Generation to generation. You know what I love about our church? We've got a lot of generations represented. From Generation Z, Generation Y, Millennials, Generation X, Boomers, the Silent Generation, the GI Generation. On back and forward, all those generations will understand and they'll they'll know the glory to whom through through the church and Jesus Christ. And I love that last phrase, and I, I I alluded to that a little bit Sunday. Amen. So be it. Let it be so in my life. Amen. Will you bow your heads with me? God, I thank you for this word. God, thank you for a powerful word. God, I know these first three chapters of Ephesians, Lord, talking about our stance, and our position in, in who you are, God. And I know next week, Lord, we'll move to more practical, over verse uh, chapter 4 through 6. But, God, I, I ask, Lord, that we would be reminded, God, that we are your church. And God, we may be the only light that some people see and know. God, I pray, Lord, that as believers, God, that we when we're broken, God, that the light of Jesus would shine so bright out of us that people would not just hear, just hear the word of God, but they would see the word of God come into life in our own lives. That they would know, hey, I don't know what that person has in their life, but I, I need to know. And I ask, Lord, that you would help us to be the church that you've called us to. And God, while we live in this time of grace and mercy, Lord, you've given us grace. God, don't let us sit idle. God, don't let us put you in a box. God, help us to trust in you. God, you're able to do abundantly above anything that we could ask. Whatever our minds, God, help us to know, God, the, the depth and the height and the length, the breadth of the cross. God, may we be reminded each and every day, Lord, that it's only by your grace that we stand. God, I pray, Lord, you go with us this week, be with us until we return again. God, I pray, Lord, that you would um, be with those that are going to the marriage conference. God, I pray, Lord, that you would just uh, begin to just move on the hearts of relationships, God, as they learn about each other and learn about God. I pray, Lord, that they would grow. God, I pray that the the relationships in this church, the marriage relationships, God, Lord, would be uh, Christ-centered. God, I ask, Lord, that you would help us to feel refreshed, be with us this weekend. God, go with us for the rest of this week. Give us strength in all that we do. And keep us uh, under protection. God, the needs that we mentioned, God, we lift up one more time. God, we ask that you just touch and minister.